Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. We had the privilege of going to a baseball game yesterday, and um, I'll just say the influence of a mother's presence is really um, can't be stated strongly enough sometimes. There was a family that did not have their mother's presence, and they're a very raucous family, and their name, I won't say who they are, but it rhymes with what I'm holding up. Actually, it is what I'm holding up, but um, (laughs) I'm just teasing the hands. But on behalf of all the grandparents, uh, children, and husbands here, once again, just want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers here. A couple verses from Proverbs 31, I would just read. Um, Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also And he praises her, saying, Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. So no amount of money, I don't think, could ever compensate mothers appropriately for the work that they do. um, But their reward, I'm sure, will be uh, realized one day in heaven. Uh, So let's just pray once again. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to continue our study in the book of Hebrews. And Father, I just pray... Um, that it wouldn't be my words and it wouldn't be my preparation, uh, but by your spirit that you would speak to each heart that's here today. Uh, We pray in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So continuing in Hebrews, and I'm going to try to make sure I keep along here. I just thought I would have our passage um, on the, the display behind me, so you don't have to turn there if you don't have your Bible with you or aren't familiar with where Hebrews is in the Bible, but it's towards the end of your uh, Bible. And if you'd like to go ahead and turn there, those that do like to follow along on their own pages, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. And um, just before we get into our um, passage for today, though, I wanted to give a brief review of where we've been so far in Hebrews. And so just a few verses um, by way of introduction and overview of the book of Hebrews. So the first one on the screen here, Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2, the very opening verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. These are very appropriate verses for setting the table for what we've seen through the book of Hebrews. Here we are almost at the end of the book today. And we will see that in much of the following chapters in Hebrews is dealing with the superiority of Jesus. It mentions the prophets in Hebrews in this verse we just read. And those were used men used by God. And then he says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And, um, and so the superiority of Jesus to everything and everyone that came before him is a theme of this book. And um, not the least of which comparison was even how Jesus was the ultimate and superior 
sacrifice offered by God to provide a way of salvation to you and to me. And so our next verse here, um, Hebrews 2, verse 3, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? And so what is this great salvation? And that salvation is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world as a man to die in the place of mankind. You can read um, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. So salvation is through belief. You could see that word in there, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Salvation is through belief in God, not through behavior for God. And, and so it's a salvation that offers complete forgiveness, isn't it? Um, Ephesians 1, 7 reads, In him, or in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We are delivered from the punishment of our sins and sheltered in Jesus. His blood has cleansed every sin away from those who believe in him, hasn't it? That's 1 John 1, 7. But that's not all. He hasn't just provided forgiveness of sins. Jesus, our Savior, sits at the right hand of God today, um, speaking to God the Father for our benefit, interceding for us, presenting the cries of our hearts um, and our mouths to God the Father, and in turn assuring us of the Father's love and his grace toward us. This is the work Jesus does for us today. And so the author describes this um, to the audience as Jesus being our great high priest. One who speaks with God the Father for our good. And so here in Hebrews 4 verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so this incredible high priest that we have is one that is able to sympathize with us, is one that offers mercy and grace in time of need. And so we see the heart of God in the salvation that he offers, don't we? He desires not only to save us from sin, but for us to enjoy his presence, for us to come boldly into his presence, the author tells us, to sympathize with us, extending grace and mercy. But even that's not all. So in our next verse, we see in verse, chapter 9, verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so not only has he saved us and offered complete forgiveness from sin, eternal forgiveness of sin. Um, he Not only is he our high priest that ministers to us and um, presents the cries of our mouths, our hearts to God, 
and assures us of his grace. But we also see in Hebrews 9, progressing through Hebrews here, that he will appear a second time. He is returning. And not to deal with sin. Sin has been dealt with. Um, sin has been dealt with for once and for all at the cross of Calvary where Jesus died, but to save those now, the second time he's returning, to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, to bring us to be with him in heaven. And so while we enjoy his presence in spirit today, uh, we have the promise that one day we will be with him in heaven for all eternity with no more sorrow, no more despair, no more tears, no more injustices, no more pain. All of these things will be wiped away. And so until then, as we read elsewhere in scripture, the just shall live by faith. So we have been justified, the Bible says, those who believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation. It says we have been made right. We have been justified with God. And so Hebrews eleven six tells about what does the life of the just look like? It's a life of faith. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so look at what it doesn't say. It doesn't say without holiness, no one can please God. Without obedience, no one can please God. But in this chapter, dealing with how we need faith, he says without faith, no one can please God. And certainly without holiness, no one can please God either. But he has given holiness through the person of Jesus. And that is how we, are, we receive that holiness through faith. And so he's just looking for us to agree with him, to believe that what he has said is true, and to place our faith in that. And so you might say, faith in what? And you might be here and you don't know what God has, what the God of um, the Bible has done for you. And so first, it's faith that God loves you, that he really, truly loves you. And he loves you so much that he was willing to offer his son for your and my sins, offering him as a sacrifice at Calvary so that Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect holiness could be given, could be offered to us as a free gift. But that's not all. Uh, faith also that salvation is truly a free gift of God. So first, he really, really loves us. He, uh, we read earlier, God so loved the world. And then second, that it's truly a gift from God. It has nothing to do with what I've done for him, what I, could, um, what I will do. It's nothing earned. It's about um, what God has done for, for us. The Bible is very clear that there is none good, no, not one. No one in comparison to God's holiness. And so God's salvation is available to all who are desperate, all who are hopeless, all who have no money, to all, no matter what you've done or haven't done. Um, God's salvation is freely available through simple faith in what he has done for you, for me. And you might say, well, doesn't that sounds good, but that kind of salvation sounds like, you know, people would just kind of run wild with sin. Doesn't that lead to sinful living if it's not about what you've done? And, and so the last thing that I'll just bring out in our intro here is that there's one other thing God has given to us in this salvation, and that's his Holy Spirit. And so um, the gift of God 
When we believe in him is he places his spirit in our heart and that is what regenerates us or makes us a new man. He has placed a new person within us. Um, Romans 5, 5 reads, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. In other words, the Spirit of God lives inside the Christian as a new person. And so the old person is still there, but now there is a new person that when we go on in sin, that new person, the Holy Spirit, bothers us. It says that's not right. And so there's the pleasure of sin is... Um, it loses its pleasure because it, it grieves the Spirit of God within us. And so it's really an incredible salvation that God has given to us, isn't it? And so coming into um, what we covered a couple weeks ago, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12, we read, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the Spirit of God that has been given to us Living inside the believer is what enables us to actually do what he says here. He says, throw off everything that hinders you. I don't need to inform you that there's addictions that hold people in bondage. And for me to walk up to them and just say, hey, just toss that off. They would laugh at me and they say, do you know how often I've tried to toss that off? Or, uh, but the reality is for those who are in Christ Jesus, the spirit of God has been given to you. And that is why the author to the Hebrews can say, throw off those things that are entangling you. Lay it aside and run this race. You don't need to be hindered by it anymore. And it's only because God has given you his spirit. That's your only hope for overcoming sin. And so the spirit of God is what enables us to do this. Um, it's what enables us to have perseverance in this race as he's opened um, this chapter with this analogy of the race. And so the last time we looked at Hebrews we, um, 12, verse 1 through 11, we did this acronym DEVO, um, D for discipline, how God uses discipline or chastening, suffering in our lives. And, um, and he wants us to endure through that chastening because it's bringing us to something better. And in order to endure, the, that's the E, the V is our vision. He wants us to have our vision, our eyes fixed on Jesus, just like Jesus fixed his eyes on the prize that was set before him. When Jesus was at the cross, the people he were dying for, he was dying for were the ones that were spitting at him, the ones that were nailing nails through his hands, that pierced his side, that put a crown of thorns mocking him and, and shoved that down onto his head. And so this was, um, he was put his eyes on something, though not on the people that were hating him, but on those, what those people would become when they come to salvation in him. Uh, it's incredible. It says that he fixed his eyes on the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross. And so he says, likewise, Christian, endure by fixing your eyes on me. Put your eyes on me. I am the prize. I am at the end waiting for you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then the outcome, the O of Devo, the outcome of that was holiness and righteousness in our lives. 
And so today we'll look at the next uh, five or so verses, um, verse 12 through 17, which is um, here before us. And so let's read it together. Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down and the palsied or feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet that that which is lame be not turned out of the way, but rather be healed. Follow after peace with all men and sanctification or holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest there be anyone who falls short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby the many be defiled, lest there be any fornication or profane person as Esau, who for one meal sold his own birthright. For you know that even when he afterward desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for a change of mind in his father, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so Hebrews 12 began with a race analogy, and it's really picking up um, here in verse 12 again with that theme. He says, um, lift up the hands that hang down and the palsied or feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet. You need to be free of hindrances and you need to run with endurance, he's saying. And so he's picking this theme back up. And so in verse 12, we see it's, you can picture a runner um, who they've just, maybe they started out as a sprint and now they're just like gasping for air and it's a marathon and they, they've treated it like it's a hundred yard dash. And so you can tell, you can just picture a person standing here, they're bent over, their, their hands are hanging low, their knees are wobbly, and um, their knees are buckling. And so it's, not, it's a picture of a wearied runner. And so God, through these words of the Holy Spirit in our passage, is drawing alongside the weary runner and is saying, be encouraged, be strengthened, God wouldn't tell you to endure this race if he didn't intend to enable you to do it. He wouldn't ask you to endure if he wasn't also giving you the grace, which you'll read, to do it. And so he's saying, follow straight paths. And so the first thing I just want to draw our attention to in our passage is, well, what are, uh, wouldn't you always go the straight path? Isn't that the... Um, the shortest pass is the straight one, right, uh, from point A to point B. And yet, um, here the Holy Spirit is saying, no, you need to go a straight path. And so when do we deviate from the path? Now, I would suggest to you there's, it's largely one of two things um, that lead us off the path. Uh, one is distractions caused by the people around us, um, by you or I. And then um, the second is our chasing temporary sinful pleasures. These are diversions off the path where we see something. He said, fix your eyes on Jesus, but something catches our eye or catches our ear and maybe we're stewing about it or maybe we're, um, we're lustfully pursuing that. And so uh, maybe there, these are some of the deviations he's referring to. And so if Jesus is who our eyes are to be fixed on, anything that causes our eyes to come off of Jesus is going to cause us to deviate off the path. I don't know about you, but if you've ever driven and you I, Noel always gives me a hard time because I, I think my head is more this way and that way when I'm driving, like looking at things than on the road straight ahead. And what happens when you turn your head is you t the, the vehicle turn tends to turn that direction as well. And so there's this idea that if we're, you basically end up going where you're looking. 
And that's what he's saying is keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll be going straight. And if you take your eyes off of him, it's going to be a deviation from the path and it's going to weary you. And so if we're honest with ourselves, I think we're constantly or it's very easy for us to be tripped up or take our eyes off the road. Maybe we've noticed something objectionable another Christian has done, something that's bothering us that they've done. Um, or how easily we stew over something that was said to us and, and we can't get over that or the way they said it perhaps. Um, or maybe we're harboring bitterness towards somebody who has wronged us and has never made it right. And sadly, these Christians or our eyes aren't on Jesus when these realities are true within us. Um, instead, we're cultivating roots of bitterness, our passage calls it, roots of bitterness. So dear friend, if our eyes aren't on Jesus, on his grace, on his sufficiency, on his mercy, his forgiveness, we become judges of one another, um, which takes us down trails and paths far off the course God has laid out for us. Instead, he tells us again what to focus on here in verse 14. Follow after peace with all men and holiness or sanctification. So peace means quietness and rest, to be at peace with others, at rest, quietness with others, and holiness, um, also translated as sanctification. So sanctification being the process of God conforming us to his image, his spirit working within us, chipping away at that old man, separating it from us, replacing it with the new man his spirit within us is. And changing our behavior and way of thinking from impure to pure, from selfish to selfless, from godless to godly. And so this holiness is not something we earn but something that God is working to create within us. And so no matter how hard we try, none of us can make ourselves holy. Um, and so we must focus on that one who is able to. We need our eyes on Jesus. He is the only one that can do this work in us. In continuing with what we should be focused on in verse 15, he says, looking carefully, lest there be anyone who falls short of the grace of God. That word looking is also translated oversight or superintend, has this idea of superintendent or oversight. And so this idea of being on watch, not only for yourself, but for others in this race. Um, it's not in a critical sense, but in a shepherding sense. We love watching people, right? But we don't, we're not so quick to do that in a, um, in a shepherding sense. It's more in a you know, maybe I feel better about myself because I think critically of others. Often the critical thoughts of others, that's where they end. They begin and they end with just critical thoughts. If they don't lead us to pray for that person, if they don't lead us to, um, uh, to actually reach out and try to help and encourage that person, then that thought is certainly not from God. And so um, he's saying, look carefully that people don't fail to attain uh, the grace of God. We ought to have a desire to nourish and encourage one another, to bring along the one that is starting to fall away from the pack. That's what the picture is again in this race, I believe here, where he says, fall short of the grace of God. It's like you're, you're running as a pack and you start to see somebody that just is slowly distancing themselves from the rest. 
and they're just falling back. Those people, they don't need our criticisms. They need to be shepherded. They need to be pursued with love and prayer. And so um, this isn't a new warning to the Hebrews. Um, we can see Hebrews 2.1. He says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Talking about drifting away, this idea of falling back. Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then Hebrews 4.1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So he's imploring us again in our verse here. Um, verse 15, look out for yourself and look out for one another. Look out for those who are falling out of the race. And so what is the key to strength and endurance for this race? We see it in verse 15. Um, lest any, um, looking carefully, lest there be anyone who falls short of the grace of God. So the key to strength and endurance isn't my Bible study, isn't um, any of the good things or the good efforts that I make, it's simply the grace from God, and this is received by faith. And so as we fix our vision on God, we receive grace from God, God's supernatural strength, his unwarranted, unmerited favor and power given to us, strengthening our feeble knees, um, reminding us of his exhaustless mercy and forgiveness, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 reads, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I love the, um, what's that word? Is it superlatives or like the all? Is He's saying all grace, all, so that we his grace is given and it gives us all sufficiency for all things at all times, all works, for all good works, every good work. He is incredibly gracious to us he gives more grace therefore says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and then i like how the very last verse in the bible reads this the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you all amen god is very gracious um, the end for many will not be um there is we live in an age of grace there will be a day when that grace it's done, and he will bring his children home, and the rest will have had their opportunity to believe. And yet, even though that's the end, um, he ends the book, um, his scriptures, with grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, dear friend, do you know the grace of God? I would suggest the more we struggle with critical thoughts of others, I believe um, we're struggling to understand God's grace towards us. And um, somebody told me once, grace is not seeing people for what they are, but for who they will be when God has perfected his work in them. And that will cause us to show them the right measure of grace. And, and so our passage ends today with a story about Esau. <clears throat> Esau wasn't a particularly bad man um, so this is a story where to take as a warning. Um, Esau is a man from the Old Testament, if you're not familiar with him, and he wasn't a particularly bad man, but he was a hunter. Uh, he was a congenial, even forgiving man, you might say. 
Jacob was really worried about um, how Esau would greet him, and yet um, there was no bitterness that seemed to be harbored. Uh, he was the kind of man you'd probably like to have as a neighbor. And yet, hear what God has to say of him in Romans 9.13. Esau have I hated. And those are strong words from a gracious God, aren't they? But what we see is the way of Esau is repulsive to God. And so that's why it's used in our passage as a warning to us to not be like Esau. Uh, the story of Esau is really about him and his twin brother, Jacob. Um, at birth, Esau was delivered first, right? And then Jacob followed. And so as a result, Esau had the blessings attributed to the firstborn son, a superior portion in the inheritance. And there is other blessings that were privileges that were part of being the firstborn. And yet Esau came back from the fields one day exhausted and hungry, right? And finding Jacob, his twin brother, had made this great meal of savory meats. Um, he bartered with his brother, selling his birthright, um, or the firstborn status is what that represented in exchange for this delicious meal. And so, in other words, he spontaneously gave up something of future great worth in exchange for immediate gratification. In the greater context of Hebrews 11 that we've covered in recent weeks, we see that a faithful person is somebody who does the opposite. That instead of pursuing sinful, empty pleasures of this world, um, instead they pursue rather the future blessing of being in heaven in the city um, whose builder and maker is God. That is the blessing, the future view, that eternal perspective is what characterizes a faithful person. You can't say Esau had an eternal perspective. His was a very temporal, like focused on the here and now of um, a, a man that's ready to do anything to just make himself um, feel good in the moment. And so what a faithful person is rather is one who identifies with Christ in his rejection and suffering today in order to enjoy the infinitely greater blessing um, waiting for us in heaven where he will share his inheritance with us. And so by context, Esau was an unfaithful man. He was fleshly, driven by the here and now, spontaneous, um, readily pursuing temporary indulgences uh, rather than the future blessing. And so we're warned, don't be like Esau. And then also to lovingly pursue people going down the path of Esau. He says, lest there be any fornication or profane person as Esau, and it goes on. And so he's saying, be wary, take care that nobody is like this. And so there may be some here who have not come to faith in God as of yet, and they're battling with their flesh. It could look like Esau just gratifying the desires of the flesh, or it could look like someone who was working really, really hard to please God working their hardest to please him through good works, uh, through their own strength, but both are squandering an incredible inheritance that God has created and provided for his children. Do you see God's heart of love and his gift of grace that's extended to you today? Um, he is pleading with you to receive the gift of his grace, the gift of salvation, complete eternal salvation from your sins, practical victory over sin in your life. Esau, I think, is a warning to the believer and the unbeliever. God's grace is offered to both. 
Um, he's offered, his grace is offered in salvation to, the, to those who have never come to God in faith, believing in his sacrifice. And then his grace is also offered in salvation from our sins, the daily struggles with our flesh that we have. His grace is extended to us. And, and he's given us, I think, in our short little passage today, um, a reminder of what it takes to have that victory, to have our eyes on Jesus, to look at him and um, to be keeping a straight path. And so this is a salvation that we don't have to earn, we don't have to labor to keep. It's for it's kept by him. And so just as our last closing passage here, I really like how Peter put it. He talks about an inheritance, and I just think it's, it's a fitting close conclusion to our um, passage this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." It's possible that there's some here that are in the middle of various trials. The Lord sees it, and he is saying, hold on, be, be faithful, be hopeful. He is seeing you through. Um, he has an inheritance that, is, that nobody can touch that's reserved in heaven for us. Um, I was hoping that maybe before we close in prayer, we could just sing, um, turn your eyes upon Jesus together. Um, I think this song has a number of things that, that we've reviewed together today. So um, we'll just do the two verses of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Yeah, just the two.
Our Father, we thank you for your wonderful, marvelous grace. Uh, we sang of it, marvelous grace, of, wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace. Uh, Father, we, uh, we are in great need of your grace, and yet we are so quick to withhold it from one another. Father, we pray that you would correct us, that you would correct our perspective of those around us, that you, we, that you would cause us to see them as you see them. You are so long-suffering and patient. Father, we pray that we would be wary of ourselves, that we would follow the, the warnings of the Hebrew author to us, to take heed, to beware. Um, Lord, we just pray that no one would be drifting away from the pack. Father, we pray that um, that through grace they would, um, or that they would see your grace this morning that's extended to them. Father, help them to let go of whatever it is um, that is holding them back. Father, we pray for great deliverance um, by the power of your spirit, for the glory of our Savior. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs> 